So, what was so groundbreaking about Disneyland that ignited the regional theme park craze? Let's take a look at how Walt's new idea revolutionized the industry. Welcome to America's Disneylands, showcasing the history of regional theme parks. I'm Barry Hill, and this is Episode 2, Disneyland Sets a New Standard. Six flags waving every family. Now it's showtime at the Crystal What made Disneyland so groundbreaking, so transformative, so amazing? What made the park an indispensable catalyst for the regionals that were to follow? The story of how Disneyland came about is well documented, so we're not going to rehash it all here. But we need to examine some key principles that laid the foundation for how the later parks came to be. We follow the trajectory from the earliest pleasure gardens in Europe, the Grand World Expositions, Coney Island, and changes in society, seeing how the process of getting to Walt's magical little park wasn't completely revolutionary. We often read about how Walt transformed the cheap local carnival and simple roadside park into the modern theme park. There's much truth to this, but there was a long string of influences, not only on his personal experiences that shaped his thinking, but also on the very enterprises he was being exposed to. History is always more complex than we prefer, but in the end, it really doesn't make that much of a difference. Disneyland, no matter the myriad ways in which it became what it was, indeed altered the landscape of outdoor entertainment forever. Let's take a look at some of the ways in which the park's design and impact on society affected the regional parks soon to come. Taking cues from the World's Fairs and the Big Three at Coney Island, Disneyland provided a built-for-purpose space that controlled the environment, provided a safe haven for people to socialize, and immersed you in a story. Unlike the typical carnival of the day, which was chaotic, random, and usually unfit for families, these places were encouraging and reassuring. All is well within our walls. You can let your guard down and just have fun. Together. Part of what created this atmosphere was the intentional design of everything, from the overall organization of buildings and attractions, layout of pathways, beautiful landscaping, and even the architecture itself. You could just feel something different about the place, even if you weren't quite aware of it and had no idea why. It wasn't just the fact that everything was so much grander than in one's own neighborhood. Careful design lowered anxiety by reducing visual and mental chaos. Everything seemed to belong together, more or less. Disneyland took this into the next dimension, and not only with intentional design of its layout, landscaping, and architecture. The park was a show, and for the first time one could pass through the tunnels, leave the messy world behind, and step directly into the story. All the good stuff from the expositions in Coney were there, but much better. This is because the park was dreamed up and executed by storytellers. Walt gave up on traditional architects because they couldn't quite conceive of what he had in mind. 
His artist, long experienced with producing stories on film, knew exactly how to do this. They brought along their storyboards and sketch pencils and approached the park from a completely different angle. Walt set the tone and scope. History, patriotism, nostalgia, and his rich library of animated films would serve as guideposts for what the park would look and feel like. His people knew how to set a scene, even in three-dimensional form, due to their work in live-action movies. Concepts from backlot building sets, impact of scale, and use of forced perspective directed the physical design of the park. Disneyland is a narrative adventure. Main Street immediately takes you back in time. And for many in the park's early days, it was a time they actually remembered at the turn of the century. Everybody seems to remember the good old days. No matter that often they really weren't all they're cracked up to be. But that's how memory and nostalgia works. Take your time ambling up the street, window shopping, and enjoying the sounds and scents of a better-than-real town. Main Street opens gently out into the hub, a circular open area designed as a gathering space, a place to get one's bearings and figure out what's next. Decision-making is enabled through visual cues at Disneyland, with clearly indicated pathways off the hub leading to the various lands. Weenies beckon from beyond. Enticing structures such as the Fairytale Castle and Majestic Sternwheeler lure one to go find out what's so interesting back there. Transitions to these various destinations are cross-dissolves straight from film production, gradually switching over to a different place in time. The Hub is an ingenious concept that allows you to change the channel and pick which scene you want to explore. Placemaking is the key to all of this. Once designers determine a backstory for a park, land, or attraction, everything points toward making that feel real to suspend one's disbelief and really buy into the thing. Attention to detail is crucial and is what sets Disneyland apart from previous affairs, and frankly, most everything after it. Everything guests see, hear, and touch is carefully specified. Building architecture, signage, color, textures, materials, costuming, equipment, vehicles, and on and on. The book for each land sets the rules for designers and generations of maintenance to follow to the letter. Visual intrusions, whether from neighboring lands or outside the park, are to be avoided at all cost. The sight lines are predetermined through extensive use of physical models and virtual environments today. A landscaped berm surrounds the park to keep the outside out. Breaking any one of these components potentially destroys the show and shatters the suspension of disbelief. Walt famously went off on an early photographer who left his 20th century car parked within sight of guests in 19th century Frontierland. The harmonious nature of a carefully conceived and implemented thematic environment is soothing, reassuring, and quite different from real-world places around us. John Hinch, Disney legend and the philosophical voice of Imagineering, put it this way, most urban environments are basically chaotic places, as architectural and graphic information scream at the citizen for attention. This competition results in disharmonies and contradictions that cancel each other. 
A journey down almost any urban street will quickly place the visitor into visual overload as all of the competing messages merge into a kind of information gridlock. Inspired and encouraged by Walt, Disneyland took customer service and care to new heights. Employee training became much more than how to operate the cash register and push the go button. Van Arsdale France was hired not long before the park opened, and his job was to develop a training program. As he walked about and talked with people, he got a sense there was something different about this place. Taking cues from Walt, he realized they weren't merely servicing customers and collecting cash to haul away to the bank at the end of the day. With Van's We Make Happiness approach, new nomenclature entered industry lexicon for the first time, such as guest, host, and hostess, cast members, and on stage. Attitudes were different than ever seen before, and this approach has been adopted far and wide across not only the entertainment industry, but in business, hospitality, and so on, though admittedly with much variability of success. The park paid close attention to their guests, observing how they moved, how they made decisions, what they liked, what they didn't. Walt instructed his designers to spend time in the park, go eat lunch there, to listen to what people were saying. The practice of guest surveys to measure all this, compile demographic data, and get feedback on future ideas has been standard procedure in the industry ever since. Attraction cues progressed from long, tiresome lines to pre-shows, immersing guests into the attraction story as they wound their way toward the entrance. Even the food got better, in some cases serving as an attraction in its own right. One of the reasons Walt wanted his park was so he could continue playing with it, trying new ideas, rethinking old ones. Disneyland is something that will never be finished, something that I can keep developing, keep plussing and adding to. It's alive. It will be a live, breathing thing that will need change. You know, a picture is a thing. Once you wrap it up and turn it over to Technicolor, you're through. Not only can I add things, but even the trees will keep growing. And as I find out what the public likes, I can change the park, because it's alive. That's why I wanted that park. To this end, he poured tons of money back into the place, plussing in grand fashion to the everlasting dismay of his accountants. It worked, however, proving that reinvestment in an enterprise is essential for repeat business. Most, but not all, Regional parks would follow this rule, though in wildly varying ways and usually contrary to the original design. But as we will see through these episodes, sufficient startup capitalization and continual reinvestment are crucial for the success of the business. In an era after World War II, while the Cold War raged on in the backdrop of daily life, Americans sought new ways for escape. Many of them found it every week on their black-and-white television sets, eagerly taking in every word as Uncle Walt showed them around his magical playland. With the development of a national road network, families looking for things to do, 
and disposable income with which to do it, Disneyland came along at just the right time. The park provided hope, inspiration, and encouragement. It invited you in as a participant to live out the stories you grew up with. It was refreshingly new, and it caught the entire nation by storm. Evolutionary though it may have been, it was revolutionary enough to have completely transformed an entire industry. As stated by James Rouse, respected master planner and builder, before a distinguished gathering at the 1963 Harvard University Urban Design Conference. I hold a view that might be somewhat shocking to an audience as sophisticated as this, that the greatest piece of urban design in the United States today is Disneyland. If you think about Disneyland and think about its performance in relation to its purpose, its meaning to people, more than that, its meaning to the process of development, you will find it the outstanding piece of urban design in the United States. It took an area of activity, the amusement park, and lifted it to a standard so high in its performance, in its respect for people, that it really has become a brand new thing. It fulfills all the functions it set out to accomplish, unselfconsciously, usefully, and profitably to its owners and developers. I find more to learn in the standards that have been set and in the goals that have been achieved in the development of Disneyland than in any other single piece of physical development in the country. All of these principles would be the basis for the upcoming regional parks. Their designers, some of whom earned their wings from Disneyland, tried their best to incorporate all this within severely constrained budgets. <laughs> Turns out, though, this wasn't to be so easy after all. America's Disneylands is produced by Rivershore Creative. Find out more about regional park history at americasdisneylands.com and find great books at rivershorepress.com. For the complete history of America's regional theme parks, grab a copy of Imagineering and American Dreamscape, available everywhere. Thanks for listening.